Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. do what he thought best because he was a fisherman by trade he followed the instruction of the Lord was obedient to the Lord and it's also here in the last chapter that we see that his love is tested by the Lord and so when if we were not have a 21 we might uh, be dangling there about whatever happened between Peter and the Lord but it kind of seals some things and brings a finality to some things of Peter's mishaps that sets him in a good place then on the day of Pentecost to be a declarer and the preacher of the message of Pentecost. Now, Peter decides in chapter 21 that he is going to Galilee, and we'll look at that here in just a bit, and he told those that were around him that he was going to resume and go back to fishing, and there were some that went with him. And there are some that desired to criticize the disciples that were with Peter and Peter himself because they resumed fishing in Galilee. There are some that would say Peter and these other disciples forsook their calling whenever they returned to what it would seem like to this old way of life of fishing. They think that they've traded fishing for men, which was what the Lord was calling them to, for just good old regular fishing again. However, according to Luke 24 in the Gospels, the Lord had spoke to them before he ascended and he plainly told them that they would need to tarry in Jerusalem that they may be endued with power from on high. We understand that. However, in Mark 16, another one of the Gospels, you may remember that an angel of the Lord spoke uh, to some of the ladies and told them to go tell the disciples and called out Peter in particular that the Lord was going to meet them in Galilee just like he said before his crucifixion. If I may share with you this morning, Mark chapter number 14 and verse 28. This is a verse of scripture that is spoken of prior to the Lord's crucifix. Jesus says, but after that I am risen, after my resurrection, I will go before you into Galilee. Mark chapter number six and verse number seven. This is after after the resurrection, the angel of the Lord is speaking and saying, but go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he go up before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him as he said unto you. So Jesus told them before his crucifixion, Galilee, I'll go there. After his crucifixion, he had an angel. The Lord said, I'm going to meet you in Galilee, just like I said before. And so the disciples knew, Peter knew in particular, that they would see the Lord there at Galilee. And as they waited, they occupied their time by doing what they did whenever he first came and called them to himself. They went back to doing what they were familiar with. They went back to doing what they did when Jesus first came. They got busy fishing again. Peter says, well, I know the Lord's going to show up here. He told me he'd meet me in Galilee. He's not here yet. He said I would see him here. And so I'm going to occupy until he comes. And so I'm going to get busy 
fishing. And many of the other disciples with him were fishers. Amen. And so he was just occupying his time. Rather than just sitting, rather than just twiddling his thumbs, he says, I'm going to do something while I wait on the Lord. Can I tell us this morning that it seems like the, the very pattern of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is that the Lord appears to use busy people. The Lord appears to use busy people. It was the Lord that called unto Moses to be the deliverer of a whole nation of people that was enslaved in Egypt. And when he called unto Moses, he was tending his father-in-law's sheep on the backside of a desert. He used somebody that was busy. David writing his psalms, playing his harp, watching over his father's sheep, defending against lions and against bears. It was there that his father come and called him and said, the prophet Samuel is here. He's going to anoint one of the boys to be king. And before the day was over, he was anointed to be king. David was already busy. Elisha, whenever Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle upon his shoulder, Elisha had been plowing with some oxen in the field and the Lord called a man that was already moving that was already busy. Matthew in the New Testament scripture, the Bible says that Jesus walks by at the receipt of custom, amen, where he was working and he calls him to be a follower. Andrew, amen, James, right, Peter, all these other ones that Jesus called were people that were busy. Jesus seems and the Lord seems to call people that are busy. Someone once said, and I find this to be true, that it's difficult to steer a non-moving vehicle. I remember trying to turn the steering wheel of a, of a car whenever I was a kid. You know, you get in there and you do that and, and, you know, they didn't have all that newfangled locking the steering wheel garbage, you know, that goes on. You could turn the wheel and I get in there and, you, man, as a kid, I'm like putting all my weight down on one side and we had, we had a, a Chevrolet, a little uh, car that didn't even have power steering and, and you, you try to turn that thing and it, it, as a young kid, it was almost impossible for my feeble arms while that vehicle was setting still to turn it to the left and you could hear it out there in the gravel you know turning one way then back to the other but then there were other times as I was young dad would set me in between his legs I know you you you, you get in trouble for doing this today but it set me in between his legs and we're going down the road and dad would allow me to steal the v, steer the vehicle while it was moving and I could do it so much easier because the vehicle was in motion. even a even a car that didn't have power steering if it was moving it was easier to steer and miraculously it wasn't because I was stronger, but it was because what I was trying not to direct was already moving. Someone say amen. Jesus, amen, could show up at the lakeside of Galilee and soon even tell those disciples, go tarry in Jerusalem. Go move now to Jerusalem till you're endued with power. He could easily do that because they were already busy doing something. They were just not sitting idly by, twiddling their thumbs, waiting for God just to make some movement or motion for them. But God says, you're moving. I can direct you if you're moving. Listen, my advice to you this morning, if you don't know what to do, do something. Pick up a towel, a plunger, a washcloth. Do something around the kingdom of God and God can direct you and will direct you. It's easier to direct you when you're willing to move already. Amen. 
And so they could easily accept what Jesus told them because of their motion that's going on in Galilee. He, as a matter of fact, he would take the very skills that they used as fishers, amen, out on the Sea of Galilee, the very methods that they used in the natural, and he would switch their objective from men, from, from fish in the sea to men to the spiritual realm, and God could direct them and guide them because they had some movement going on in their life. Now, Jesus had shown himself as we've already seen in the Gospel of John, to the disciples a couple of times. And when he showed up those other times, he showed up, he came to them behind closed, locked doors in private. Closed, locked doors in private. He entered the room and made himself known unto them. But John 21, this is a different sort of appearance. He reveals himself now. They're not behind closed doors or locked doors. He appears to them and they open public place at the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee or the, the Sea of Galilee is called by several different names. There were a lot of towns around about the sea and if you were from Tiberias, you called it the Sea of Tiberias. If you were from Galilee, it's wherever you were in those towns, you called it the Sea of such and such. And the Bible, look at verse 1 of chapter number 21 of John. It says, on this why should he himself? It's amazing that Christ did not only show them show himself to them where they lived, but now he's showing himself to them where they worked. And it's essential to realize that the risen Savior, the Savior that we still yet have today, amen, is a risen Savior in every aspect of our lives. Our risen Savior isn't only good for church life, he's good for home life but he's also good for work life. He isn't only a private and personal God, but he is a public and universal God for every man and every sphere of life. The great thing about God is that he'll show up and he changes atmospheres. He negotiates better outcomes as we'll soon see, even in public here in scripture. The Bible says, we look at verse number two, that there were with Peter about six other disciples with him. There's a total of about seven disciples at this particular appearance. There is present, note, Thomas, who's all times considered the doubter. There's Peter, who is the denier. There's the sons of Zebedee, whose scripture also labeled the sons of thunder. Because in one occasion when there were some people that did not want to receive the Lord, they said, Lord, we'll call fire down from heaven upon them. So they, you know, they kind of jump at the gun too, you know. We'll just call fire down and take it. Sons of thunder, all right. And then there are two unnamed disciples. So if you will, we have a doubter, a denier, some people's willing to call down fire from heaven on someone that's not accepting the Lord and two unnamed disciples. Yet all of these different kinds and sorts of people in this discipleship group are extended the same privilege of seeing the Lord in public and what he's about ready to do. So what that means to me as a pastor or for the modern day is this, whether you have failed or whether you've had the wrong attitude whether you've been uncertain or whether you feel like you're quote-unquote a no-name disciple among the masses, Jesus wants to show himself to you publicly. Your mistake, your intemperance will not ward him off or keep him from showing up and showing out. You're just as important to him whether you realize it or not. Amen. 
They were all given in that group different sorts. They were all given the same opportunity. Can I tell you this morning, we cannot hide behind the excuses of, oh, that one's privileged or inequality or no, I'm not privileged enough. No, you will not find such things with the Lord. Amen. He has us all on an even plane. Amen. He does not give one more priority than the other. He'll show up, even as we've seen in the Gospel of John, he'll show up even a second time for a Thomas that wasn't present the first time because you are valuable and important to the Lord. And so Peter says, guys, I go fishing. They're like, let's do this. Several of them were fishers, so it's not like you, you know, it's like throwing a match on some gasoline. Someone likes fishing. I go fishing, and it's what they knew. And so others went back fishing with him. Again, they resumed what they were familiar with. And from my understanding, on the Sea of Galilee in particular, but also other places, nighttime was the best for fishing. They could go out night and fish and have the fish then ready for sale whenever it became morning. As a matter of fact, as you read through the Gospels, remarkably, as you read, the disciples never catch a fish in any of the Gospels without the Lord's help. As you read through the pages of what we have recorded, they never catch a fish without the Lord's help. Now, this whole scenario in John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14, may have found or sounded a little similar to another occurrence in Scripture that happened about two years or so earlier. And if you'll allow me, I'd like to read it to you. Luke chapter number 5, there's a very similar scenario, not identical, but similar. This is whenever the Lord called the disciples. This is whenever he called them, found in Luke 5. But look, if you will, as we read, think about some of the comparisons and the contrast between this first story at the sea and the second story that we have read already this morning in John 21. Luke 5, I'm starting with verse number 1. I don't know, I hope I gave that to you all. But nonetheless, and it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him, speaking of Jesus, to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Genesaret, Sea of Galilee, Sea of Tiberias. Again, it's all according to where you were around it, as by what it was called. And saw two ships standing by the lake. The fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered to one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now, when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had This done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' feet. Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all 
and followed him. Very similar story. Around, again, centered around the Sea of Galilee or Gennesaret. They again had fished all night. All these things are taking place. The original call of the disciples included a night of frustrating fishing and catching much fish only because the Lord directed them to let down their nets. In Luke, the net broke, but now the Bible tells us in John 21 that the net did not even tear. Jesus in Luke Originally, he was on the boat, but now in John 21, he is on the shore. Peter, when he realizes this is taking place, the Bible says in Luke that he goes down to the knees of the Lord and says, the Lord, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. But in John 21, when he realizes it's the Lord, he jumps into the water to swim to the shore to where he wants to be near the Lord. To begin with, he wanted to be separated from the Lord. Now he wants to be near to the Lord. Peter, in the beginning, he says, we fished all night. He complains, and then he obeys. But now in John 21, we don't hear a complaint. He just obeys. He obeys without contesting anything. To begin with, in Luke, they were astonished the first time that this happened. Amen. But now, this time, it doesn't seem like anybody is just over the head, amen, surprised about what is taking place. What are you saying, Brother McGee? I'm saying just in a little over a two-year time frame from when this first happened in the first call, and now it's happening, it seems very similarly in John 21. Isn't it amazing how the disciples have grown in their maturity? In the Lord. Amen. Because now the Lord has given direction and they're not complaining. They're just doing what he says. That's maturity in the Lord. Amen. Not only that, the Bible says their nets did not break. Evidently because they had mended and maintained their nets to the degree of God's ability to supply. No, 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 no. Do you hear what I'm saying? No, mending nets before is like, yeah, this would probably handle so much. What we usually catch, this, this men job right here would hold. But they have had enough scenarios with the master that they know if he has anything to do with it, we're going to have to have stronger nets for what he's able to. That's maturity when you prepare, not for what you can do, but you're preparing for what God can do. Using the same tools, same methods, and you prepare for what God can do. What God can do in your life. Amen. Peter, now in John 21, again, he's denied the Lord. Right? Before, when he first met the Lord, he says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. But a mature Peter that's failed the Lord takes himself to where Jesus is on the shore. And he's not thinking, well, he probably wouldn't give me the time of day. No, he, his maturity tells him, I don't need to be far from the Lord. I need to get as close to the Lord as I can. Am I a failed man? Yes. Did I deny him? Yes. But I know the Lord. He's still mindful of me. He'll, oh, yes, yes, yes. This is just a little shoreline counseling here this morning. Amen. He says, so I'm going to swim. I'm, I'm going to get to where he is. And the awesome thing is we're still, we're still amazed by his goodness. 
But we're just not as surprised that he is good because he's done it again and again and again and again. We're still amazed. We're just not surprised that that's how he is. That night, the Bible says in John 21, they caught nothing. But when the morning now came, the Bible says, Jesus stood on the shore. Jesus showed up as they committed themselves to their typical duties. They're out there fishing, had done it all night. He showed, they committed themselves to that, and Jesus is on the shore. But the Bible says that no one has recognized him as of yet. Verses 3 and 4. He's on shore. They're on the sea. It's starting to get daylight, but no one has recognized him yet. I don't know if maybe the darkness prevented them from seeing him. You know how it is. You can only see so far in the dark. And as it's getting lighter, you're seeing a little further. I don't know if night perhaps kept them from seeing who was on the shore. But according to how this is worded in Scripture, that but when the morning now came, Jesus stood on the shore. And he already has a fire built. And there's already a fish laying on the hot coals as a prepared meal. All of this tends to make me believe, Brother Zach, that Jesus didn't just show up when it got daylight. But he had almost already had to have been there working while it was still night to have a fire and fish and to be on the shore. If I can say it like this this morning, the daylight just revealed the Jesus that was already there. Who was already at work on the shore even during their night struggle. While they caught nothing, the scripture says, they, by their own omission, they caught nothing during the night already on the fiery coves, on the shore. Jesus was preparing something already caught. And daylight revealed what the night season had kept hidden from them. They're there. They've struggled all night. They're doing what they do out on the sea. And Jesus was doing what he was doing on the shore. Woo! Working independently, not even recognizing who it was or that anything was going on. Can I ask us a question this morning? How many dawns, I'm not talking about my wife, but how many dawns have shown what we've tried to accomplish in the night at sea? Jesus has already prepared during the same time on the shore. We were doing our work, but he was already doing his work because where we failed, he would succeed. And if you will, equate and take care of what we had need of. Uh, Mr. McLaurin, amen, in his study of this said this. He said, the risen Lord on the shores shares in the toil of his servants on the restless sea. Again, they report they caught nothing. And Jesus says, well, I got something for you on the shore. He shares in their toil, but he awaits their recognition. Follow me here very closely. He awaits their recognition of what he's been up to while they've been struggling. Because not only does day bring light, but it also brings instruction in John 21. It also brings a challenge. 
It challenges us about everything we thought we knew and how we thought we should operate in the night fishing season. And so when we come to the Lord, look at this. He begins to share with them everything that he has done after they have owned the fact that they have been inadequate in what they've tried to accomplish and they have failed in what they have tried to accomplish. He did not tell them, look in John 21, he did not tell them where to cast their net until they admitted that where they had been casting their net was no advantage to them. You hear me? He didn't just cry from the shore and just say, hey guys, cast it here. No, first he asked them, children, do you have any meat? They say none. We've told all night. We caught nothing. He says, let me tell you where to put it. When you tell me what you've been doing's failed, let me tell you what you can do and succeed. God wants somebody perhaps this morning just to own that it's inadequate, Lord, what I've been doing. Lord, it's failed. What I've been trying to attempt, it's been to no advantage. And when we do that, he says, okay, let me tell you how to be successful. Let me tell you I'm here to tell you today, I want to succeed in the Lord enough. I'm willing to tell him that didn't work and that didn't work. I tried that and that didn't work. Would somebody just admit the Lord where we're inadequate so he can help us succeed in our journey? So perhaps today the secret to our instruction from the Lord will come on the heels of admitting that everything we've been attempting and everything that we've been trying by ourselves. It's not helping, Lord. We've done this all night. It's gained us no hopeful outcome. Because <laughs> let's just be honest for a moment. Sometimes we think that our way is best. Or there's other voices around us that's like, you know, blowing the wind in ourselves. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's good, that's good, that's good. And it's the furthest thing from good. Amen. I just need to accept sometimes that my way isn't best. And though I have a majority of people around me saying it's best, it doesn't necessarily make it best. Because it's not best unless I include him in the process. And when he's included in the process, look what happened. The results were more favorable than doing it without him in the process. Now, listen, and just for clarity reasons, as I read the story, I don't think they were, I don't think they were boldly trying to do anything without the Lord. Again, they're, they was occupying until he came, right? I believe they were doing what they knew to do until the Lord showed up. So please do what you can. But when he shows up, don't ignore that he's there. Because the instructions Jesus gave in the morning proved successful. And what those instructions did was help combat a whole night full of disappointments that the disciples had. His instructions in the day were what they themselves could not discern in the night. Now, now look, by Jesus' guidance of what he spoke from the shore, his shoreline counseling, 
what he spoke from the shore, they accomplished in one cast what a night of casting nets without his guidance never accomplished. I want to encourage someone today. Let's listen to the voice of heaven. Let's listen to the voice that's on the shore. Listen, because he has a different perspective than you do right in the middle of the sea. And this is just, this is not uh, Brother McGee deducing. This is Brother McGee looking at history and looking at fishing. It was not uncommon when they would go fishing with their nets to have someone stand on the shore and instruct them where was best to cast because from the shore, since they weren't right on top of it, they could see the shadowing of schools of fish that was beneath the surface of the water rather than when you were out on the water right on top of it, it was more difficult to perceive. But from the shore, the person from the shore could see it, Sister Margaret, and say, you need to cast. Hey, guys, you need to cast over here because they had a different perspective. They weren't right in the middle of it sometimes we're too close to a circumstance and we're too entrenched in a happening to sort the situation out objectively by ourselves. We need the guidance of the voice of heaven. Amen. That has a different vantage point, a different perspective in those moments that gives us guidance about what we really need to do in the moment. Amen. He said in verse 6, Cast the net on the right side of the ship. One writer said it like this. I kind of enjoyed what he had to say. He said they were just a ship's width from where they needed to be. Amen. And listen clearly. And Again, this is just shoreline counseling here today. You do not have to be far not to be where God would have you to be. You don't have to be far not to be where God would have you to be. Because to be anywhere outside where he wants you is not where he'd have you. You hearing me? You don't have to be far. If you're just not where he he wants you, that's far enough to not be where he needs you. Let's even say it like this. Perhaps this morning you got the right ship. You just got the wrong side. The right side of anything during this culture and time is considered the lucky side. But they didn't find fish because they were lucky. They were obedient. And there's a lot of people that are confusion, confusing utter obedience and have mistaken it as luck. You didn't get lucky. You were just finally obedient. Someone say amen. Now, this is why this don't make sense. Because they say in this day that the steering oar, the oar that gave guidance and steered in direction, the steering oar was typically on the right side of the boat. So the nets were not typically cast on the right side of the boat. They were typically cast to the left because, and this is unusual, because to cast the nets were the, steering anchor was 
the, 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 the principle or the mind, common sense is this. If I put the nets over there, the nets may get entangled in the steering oar. But somehow, figuratively, that's just what Jesus wanted. He wanted both their guidance and their purpose on the same side. No, 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 no. Because why? Because for us in the real world in which we live, when we separate our direction from our goal, we get nothing. But when direction and purpose yoke up and share sides, the results is the outcome of a draw to fishes. Amen. We need both. The Bible says after the fish catch that John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, after the fish were caught, he knew, he recognized that the man that was upon the shore, he recognized him to be the Lord. He even told Peter, he says, that is the Lord. There was something in John. He's starting to tick off the boxes. We're on the sea. We've caught nothing. This seems familiar. <laughs> There's somebody telling us to cast nets somewhere. This seems familiar. We got a large drop from just this. What's going on? He's starting to remember all the original call of Luke chapter number five of their frustrating night then and their successful morning then. And now they've had a frustrating night and a successful morning all because someone is telling them what to do. He says, you know what? I'm not as sharp as a bowling ball, maybe he said, but I think that's the Lord, Peter. I believe that that's the Lord out there. And the Bible says whenever Peter heard it, he threw himself in the water and went toward the Lord. Now, the Bible says that the other ship started to come in, dragging the net. Note what the scripture says. They were not far from the land. They, they were about 200 cubits from land, which equals about 100 yards. They're about 300 feet from land. But what that meant was if they weren't far from the land, who's on the land? They're not far from Jesus either. And Jesus already has the camp. He has the fire. He has the fish. He has the bread. Right? And look what Jesus says in verse 10. He has already all this all prepared, fish on the fire. And then he tells them, hey, why don't you bring some, why don't you get the fish that you caught and bring it hither? He wanted Peter to bring some of what he just caught over here. And this is the way your God works. He allows us to add what he's done through us to what he's done without us. I got fish here. It's owed to me. But I'm going to, why don't you bring some what you just caught because you were obedient to me and put it with what I have right here already. And notice his instructions. His instructions, his guidance helped them secure these fish. But he labels it as this in verse 10. Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. What he does. He doesn't say, yeah, bring the fish that I helped you get. No, he said that ye now have caught he's gracious enough he's gracious enough to call it ours because through our obedience we were intelligent enough to recognize he's the one that we owe it to now I don't know I don't know if some of those fish were laid on the fire next to his it doesn't say but if so it seems as though Jesus indicated no difference just lump it together here with mine. There may have been many reasons this morning, I'm trying to hurry along, but there may have been many reasons why John may have included the exact number 
that there were 153. He tells us exactly. There were 153 fish in this particular passage. You can read about it. There's all kinds of theories. Some of them are pretty far out there. People that's trying to make sense or trying to make something work or something fit because it stated 153 fish. But I'll give you my, I'll give you my opinion on the matter if that matters to anybody. For number one, John has been an eyewitness through many of these accounts, and I think having an exact number proves an eyewitness account that this did, in fact, take place. I was there. There was 153 fish. But number two, and someone's going to like this better maybe than somebody else, it demonstrates the age-old ego of men. Because what side of human nature of man doesn't want to know how many fish he caught? Huh? Brother Trout, you tell me. Men will tell you two things when they've been fishing. How big the biggest fish was and how many fish. I see it on social media all the time. These are the fish we caught. They're all laid out, single line order. Or I caught X. Yeah. It's just human nature. You don't have to get real creative with the 153. Just look at human nature. A bunch of men went fishing. Please note these two verses, verse number four, and I'm wrapping it up. Verse number four, the Bible says, just one phrase out of there toward the end, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Verse number 12, just a few verses further down, and none of the disciples durst ask him, who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord. Verse four, knew not. Verse 12, Nobody even has to ask. They know it is the Lord. What in the world has changed from verse 4 to verse 12? How did they go from not knowing it was him to now no one even has to question? They know it was him. They all knew that the one on the shore, the man on the shore, the one instructing them was Jesus. I submit to you, and I'm coming to a close if you can stand with me. I submit to you. The reason being is because they were at this stage in verse 12. They were where he was. They were at where he was. At first, and the Bible plainly says that they were not far from the shore. And they may not have been far from him, but they were still too far to recognize him. For who he was. Therefore, my advice to us this morning, if I were to listen to the words of the shoreline counseling, my advice this morning would be this, is when you cannot recognize him from a distance, even if it's not far, draw close to where he is, and you'll know him in a moment. Because he is a great God. And as the song says, he's still moving. He's still working. How great he is. How great he is. I wonder this morning if we could bow our heads all over this place as Brother Mason, if you could come, if we could bow our heads all over this place today. Somebody may be tossing up and down up on the sea in the darkness of a night. 
Somebody may feel like life right now is not profitable, that your situation is not known and your voice is not heard. You may feel somewhat frustrated in your endeavors, but there is a day that is dawning and there is a voice that is crying from the shore with some instruction. And he's asking us, how have things been going? He's asking us, have anything been profitable? How has been handling matters on your own been doing? And we need just to be honest with the Lord. Lord, we have caught nothing. Lord, we have drawn our net up time after time, and it is empty. We've tried to do this on our own and by ourselves. But God, we need, Lord, intervention. And if we'll follow the instruction of heaven, if we'll follow the instruction of the Lord, I guarantee you, sir, I guarantee you, ma'am, that you will not be disappointed. Oh, but Brother McGee, I'm a doubting Thomas. That doesn't matter. Brother McGee, I've denied the Lord in the past. That doesn't matter. Brother McGee, I've been very vehement with my attitude. And, and I don't know. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're a no-name disciple this morning. If that's the way you see yourself. He is showing up publicly today to make himself known. He is giving an appearance and he is supplying a need. If we'll be willing to be obedient to the voice from heaven, be obedient to the voice of the Lord. He will intervene on our behalf. Can we raise our hands right now all across this place? Father, I want Lord to be open to the counseling of the shoreline. God, though I may not be Lord real far but near, help me Lord to draw closer. Help me God to draw closer. Help me God to recognize who you are, what you're doing, how you're wishing to intervene. Help me God to give myself Lord Jesus to that today. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. These altars are open today. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.